you for, for sharing. Um, let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter number 5. I promise I, I won't be uh, too long-winded tonight. I know we've, we've already been giving some testimonies, but I did want to take uh, some time to anchor us specifically in the text that we, we walked through and uh, just give you a little taste for um, some of that feast uh, that Angela spoke to that, that we were given really throughout the week. Um, Galatians is a phenomenal book for uh, encouragement, but also challenge and, and warning. Um, obviously, Paul is writing to the church uh, here, and uh, he's really dealing specifically with their tendency uh, to want to add something to their relationship with Christ. He's challenging them in this idea of their wanting to move away from Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. They're wanting to add what back into it. They're wanting to go back to their Judaistic ways and customs. Teens, you'll remember us kind of working through that in introduction. And they're wanting to add something now to their relationship with Christ in an effort to do what? To earn more favor and grace in the eyes of God, and in many ways, just to feel better about themselves, right? They were coming out of a very um, methodical, detailed approach to worship, right? You did this in this way, in this manner, at these times. There was feasts, there was customs, there was all of these things that you, you did, right? And then in Christ, all of that was now uh, deemed... Uh, really useless, right? Certainly had significance and remembrance and it had value from that perspective, but those things weren't needed to do what? To be in relationship with God the Father through Christ. They, they had everything in Christ. They needed nothing more, right? To be in relationship with God. And so this is really what Paul is, is dealing with here with their desire, their tendency to, to lean back into Judaism and really to um, practice that in an unhealthy way and to impose that on, on even others. And so there's this concept on day number one of, of gospel freedom. Gospel freedom, Galatians chapter number five, looking up in verse number 13, you can see it here, for you were called to freedom, Paul says. Right? For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Looking up in verse number five of Galatians chapter five, for through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So Paul, after hearing reports and, and hearing what's going on in the church, he is anchoring their hearts and their minds in this reality that they are free in Christ. They no, not, no longer need to feel bound to these Judaistic customs and rituals and things that they had to do or things that they felt they had to be as a result of uh, being a Jew. Paul is anchoring in his reality whether you're circumcised or not, it means nothing. Only faith in Christ ultimately matters now, right? And as a result of your faith in Christ, you're now free. 
You're free from the bondage of sin. You're free from the bondage of religion and its bondage even in some cases on your own life. You're free in Christ to worship God freely through Christ. And so we kind of built these first 13, 14, 15 verses that ultimately, now let's read verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul is just hitting them straight on with what he's seeing and hearing and observing, and he's calling them back to gospel freedom. He's calling them back to remember who they were in Christ to be, and to walk then in that freedom. And verse number 16, Paul says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's, let's pray for a moment this evening. Father God, I pray right now that you would work in our midst. I know we I'm sure have had a busy week. We are no doubt carrying burdens and struggles, difficulties, cares of this world, things that are, are tugging and pulling at our hearts and our minds. And I pray for this moment right now that you would um, confront us with the truth of your word. There's no doubt for many of us here that have grown up in the church, it's a familiar passage. So, Father, I pray that you regard us from the danger of familiarity. You will cause us, by your grace, to listen with ears that are open and desirous to receive your word and the richness of it, and that we would be fed by your word. Father, I pray that your spirit would stir us up, that if there's a heart here that's cold and has become hard to your word, that the word would break it up, that it would warm it once again to your word. I pray that you would cultivate up now soil that is ready to receive seed. And that as your word goes out and that seed is, is dropped into the soil of a heart, that it would grow, it would take root, and it would bear fruit. Father, we pray that you would do that work. I pray that this would not just be vain repetition of coming and doing church because that's what we do, checking boxes. Oh, this is the exact thing that you're calling the church at Galatia away from. I pray that we would take heed as well to your warnings to this church, that we would not gratify the desires of our flesh, but Father, we would walk by your spirit. Father, teach us, grow us, change us to be more like Christ, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Friends, in this verse here, I'm really going to anchor in verse number 16. I'll point our attention uh, in the context before and after to, to, to bring this all together. But I really want to anchor us in verse number 16. Why? Because this is where the imperative's at. Right? Really, the context before is building on to and looking forward to verse number 16. 16 has the command and the imperative. Paul says, but I say what? Walk. So there it is. Really, all the context after verse number 16 is pointing back to verse number 16. The context before is looking forward to verse number 16. So verse number 16 is the hinge of this particular chapter, right? 
And so here we have it. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And you might be reading this and saying, okay, Eric, I get it. Um, This is not a verse that needs a lot of exposition at first glance. This isn't a verse that needs a lot of interpretation. This isn't a verse that you're saying, man, what is... What does that really mean? What is Paul really saying here? Well, he's saying, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so we can easily just kind of read that verse and, and say, I got it, you know, close, close the chapter and, and move on, right? But we, we chose to take a, a bit of a, uh, an exegetical look, diving into the specific words and looking at some nuances of this particular verse and what it means specifically for the believer, So the big idea of the text that we looked at in verse number 16 was this, because we are free in Christ, right? That was building on the context of the verses before. This is what Paul said in verse number 13, for you are called to freedom, brethren. So because we are free in Christ, we can pursue eternal pleasures that are found only in living a spirit-led life. I'll say that one more time, because we are free in Christ, we can pursue eternal pleasures that are found only in living a spirit-led life. The first point that we looked at in verse number 16 was this, living a spirit-led life is enabled by the gospel. Living a spirit-led life is enabled by the gospel. Okay, let me be clear. We can't fulfill this verse unless we are first free in Christ. We can't walk by the Spirit. We can't be in the Spirit. We can't experience the Spirit's power working in our life unless we are in Christ. And so there's a prerequisite to verse number 16, and it was what? For them to know and to understand the personal work of Jesus in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so... That was the context to verse number 16 that we said, hey, teens, before we dive into the what, the why, and the how, let's be clear. We can't do this in our own strength. There's no ability in and of myself to walk by the Spirit. Living a Spirit-led life is enabled by the gospel. So unless we know the gospel, understand the gospel, and have responded rightly to the gospel... We can never live out the imperative and the command of verse number 16. So Paul says here, but I say walk. That's the verb. That's the imperative. This is the command in verse number 16. This verb here has the idea of living in a certain manner with a focus on continuity of action. So this is talking about lifestyle, the manner of your life. Paul is saying, walk like you are free in Christ. Because remember, you are free. So he's saying, don't go back to the chains and the bondage of sin. Don't go back to religion and placing your hope in religiosity and doing and checking boxes. Don't fall into that trap. Be who you are in Christ. You're free. There is no bondage of sin. The bondage of religion has no effect on us. We are free in Christ. You could say this verb is describing the consistency of one's thoughts, reactions, and choices. 
right? That makes up the whole of mankind, the whole of our being, our thoughts, our reactions, and our choices is what we, that, that represents our walk. So Paul is calling us to consider our walk through this imperative. He's causing us to look, look inward and to consider what is the state of our walk? How am I currently walking? Does my walk declare that I am free in Christ? Does my walk, the consistency of my thoughts, reactions, and choices, does, does that describe bondage to sin? So look inward, reflection, introspection. Living a spirit-led life is most commonly realized in the life of Christ. As he or she finds pleasure in their gospel freedom. Friends, this was our biggest challenge to the teens and to ourselves and to anybody who reads this text. To the church at that time, was a, uh, there, there was a value proposition in this text. It's a call to remember what the quality of our choices Am I going to settle for less than God's best? And what is God's best? Eternal pleasures in Christ forevermore. I'm adopted out of darkness into his family. And then I've been given an inheritance with Christ. Eternal inheritance. No man can pluck us out of his hand. No man can take us out of that adoption. We're no longer considered children of disobedience, but children of God most high. And so there was this value proposition to remember our gospel freedom and to consider what we have been given in Christ and as a result, what we often trade him for. To gratify what? The desires of our flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. These things are passing away. Hebrews calls them fleeting pleasures. Just as the seasons Summer, winter, spring, fall, they come and they go. So do these fleeting pleasures. You see, sin, as one of our speakers said, promises freedom, but it delivers bondage. You guys remember that, teens? Sin promises freedom, but delivers bondage. So there's this, there's this compare and contrast, this value proposition of us remembering who we are in Christ and again what we often trade him for the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Paul understanding what the church at Galatia had fallen into the trap of doing and going back to the religion, going back to relying on the Judaism, going back to these customs, these feasts and trying to earn favor in the eyes of God and trying to earn favor in the eyes of others, puffing themselves up, being proud in their own works. Is that not our own tendency as human beings? Paul, understanding that that is our human nature, he tells them, but I say, do what? Walk. There's intentionality. There's, there's purpose. There's some intensity in Paul's language here. This is an imperative. He tells us to stay focused on one thing, and that's our walk. idea of living in a certain manner, the consistency of our thoughts, reactions, and choices day after day after day. Friends, this is what the Christian life is about. Matthew 5, 16, 
Let others see our good works, our walk. But for what purpose? That they may see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father which is in heaven. Our thoughts, reactions, and choices, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? The glory of God. This is a reality for us to consider our walk. The simplicity of our walk, the simplicity of the minutia of day after day after day is significant for the Christian. Why? Because it's through those things that we can point others back to the one who has saved us. It's through those simplistic things of living life, our thoughts, actions, reactions, and emotions, our walk. It's the walk that God wants to use to magnify and glorify his name. It's through us submitting to the will of the Father and being led by the Spirit that our our light in this world becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. We become like that city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. It is our walk that God uses to spur on our evangelism. It is our walk that God uses to connect us together with one another in biblical discipleship. It is our walk as you are going that God uses to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, our walk is nothing that is insignificant. It has eternal significance. And this is what Paul wants us to wake up to the reality too. Our walk is a big deal. I can't walk on my own. Friends, living a spirit-led life is enabled by the gospel. As the gospel draws me, as the gospel by grace, I respond in faith to the finished work of Jesus Christ. I am now free in Christ. I need the gospel. I need Christ. I need the Spirit. This brings us to our second point. Living a Spirit-led life is directed by the gospel. Living a Spirit-led life is directed by the gospel. So we have our walk. This is the what. This is what Paul wants us to focus on. He transitions to this next phrase. But I say walk how? This is the how of our text. By the Spirit. See, I got it, right? We walk by the Spirit. Let's move on. Hold on a second. Living a Spirit-led life is directed by the Gospel. I can remember with all four of my kids, um, Maddie, Emma, Grace, and Olivia, I, I loved this stage. I love all of them, all their stages, but... Specifically, I, I can remember having great joy in this transitional stage of crawling, scooting, army crawling, whatever, whatever your kids might have done. But specifically, we've all seen a kid that was transitioning from what? Crawling, scooting, army crawling, whatever they might do at that age, to then what? Finding some confidence and some strength and some ability to start pulling up on a on a table, to pull up on a side table, a coffee table, a couch. And what do they start doing? They start doing this, this little sidewalk on the edge of things, right? On the, on the bed, whatever it might be. And then before we know it, and I'm not sure why we do this as parents, but we encourage them even further to walk more because then we just can't keep track of them. But what do we do? We, we take that, that young one who is walking uh, along the edges of things and we take both their hands and we kind of just place them right in the middle between our legs, what do we do? We, we, we 
pull them up on one side and kind of help them get that feel for that first step. And then we kind of pull them up on one side and we get them feel for that next step. And we did the same thing over and over and over again. And we're walking them around the house as they are walking. We are, by our own strength and by our own ability to walk and to hold their body weight, because guess what? Their legs aren't developed enough to do it by themselves. We literally are helping them walk during this stage of life. And before you know it, those, those muscles start to get a little stronger. Coordination gets a little better. And before you know, we have no idea where they're at, right? And that's just how it goes. But I, I, this, all the illustrations are imperfect. But this, is, this phrase, by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. Living a spirit of life is directed by the gospel. Friends, this is what it looks like to be walking by the Spirit. I can't take a grace step in my life without him, the Spirit. I can't, I can't take a step towards the gospel. I can't take a step towards understanding in my own strength. I'm not going to pursue it. I have no desire to in, in and of my own self. It's, it's a work of the Spirit in me that is taking me by the hand and leading me. I'm, be, I'm walking by the Spirit. I'm enabled and directed to live the Spirit-led life by the power of the gospel. Friends, this is a beautiful picture of the grace that the Holy Spirit is in our life. Can you believe this? Friends, we have the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God that abides in us through the work of Christ on our behalf. This is, this is our, our minds should be overwhelmed with the awesomeness and the greatness of this incredible reality that we believers, followers of Christ, have the Holy Spirit of God abiding in our heart and in our lives through the work of Christ on the cross and defeating sin, death, and hell. The tomb was empty. Why? Because he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And as a result, he has given us, imparted to us, the Spirit. I look back to John chapter number 16, verse number 7. It says this, Nevertheless, this is Christ speaking. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I, Christ Jesus, go away. I, I don't know if you remember our John series, but you can remember the power that Jesus Christ had over the world, over death, over sickness. He, he was incredible. He was God in the flesh, and he did incredible things. And so in my human mind, I'm thinking, I don't think there's any advantage that Christ could ever leave this. There'd be no advantage that I could gain by Christ leaving this world. You guys understand where I'm going with this, right? Christ, God in the flesh, is on earth. Let's just keep that going, right? Let's just, God is eternal, so Christ, let's just, generation after generation, let's just have you on the earth, and let's just have you continue to work, sign miracles and wonders. In my mind, in my wisdom, in my finiteness, that's the best point. But Christ 
says, it is to your advantage, speaking to the disciples, that I go away. And can you empathize with the disciples? They're thinking, uh, no thanks, right? Is there a plan B? Because I've got a suggestion for you, Christ. How do you say here? It goes on to say this. For if I do not go away, the helper, this word here, the paraclete, the counselor, the comforter, this is the Holy Spirit, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the Holy Spirit of God. John 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. John 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. This is the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, that paraclete to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Friends, this isn't just a reality for a young teen and a young adult to remember in their life. Friends, every single one of us right here need to wake up to the reality of what we've been given in Christ through the Spirit. For it's through the Spirit, the Godhead, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and defeated sin, death, and hell. That same power, resurrection power, is imparted to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So friends, we have nothing to fear. What can man do unto us? We can face trials with the confident hope and certainty that though my heart and flesh may fail, I have Christ. So friends, this evening, do you remember all that you've been given in Christ? Have you maybe defaulted back in your trial and your difficulty and the uncertainty of the world that we're living in? Have you maybe defaulted back to your own strength, to your own understanding, to your own wisdom? Have you been carrying the burdens on yourself? Are you burdened down? Are you weighed down by the cares of this world? This is why God's word tells us to lay aside the weight and sin that sin clings so closely to us and run. You are free. You're called to freedom, brothers. Paul says. Friends, when we walk how? By the Spirit, we can experience freedom. And not only can we experience freedom, but there's an opportunity as we're walking by the Spirit for us to discern the quality of our choices. Those thoughts, those reactions, and those choices, we have discernment about us. So when a temptation comes our way, when an opportunity to sin or an opportunity to, to act out or to react in a manner that would be in the flesh. If we're walking by the Spirit, what can we do? We can discern through the help 
through the help, literally the helper, he helps us make those right choices that would honor and glorify God, that would maximize his glory in and through our lives. Living a spirit-led life means we're being directed by the spirit in the gospel. This is the primary means of grace that we are offered in Christ through salvation. We are given the Holy Spirit of God. John Owen describes the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer in this way. He says the Holy Spirit dwelling in us gives guidance and direction. Fundamentally, habitually, he does what? The Spirit enlightens our minds, gives us eyes to understand. He shines into us, translates us from darkness into marvelous light, whereby we are able to see our way, to know our paths, and to discern the things of God. Without the Spirit of God in our lives, enabled by the gospel and directed by the gospel, we could not do those things. So this evening we've looked at the what from Paul. He said to walk. He went on to describe the how, how we are to walk by the Spirit. And then finally, Paul brings our attention to the why. This is the why. The third and final point is this. Living a spirit-led life is empowered by the gospel. Living a spirit-led life is empowered by the gospel. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. What's the result? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul tees this verse up in almost a if-then type of construct. If you walk by the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is a common structure to uh, use contrast to make a clear gospel or doctrinal point, right? Here it is. Paul is shining the light on the role of the Spirit. He's trying to build value and gospel impact into the role of the Spirit. And now he's contrasting the quality that, if okay, if we don't walk by the Spirit, what could we do? In our default, we're going to gratify the desires of the flesh. The blue team, Danielle and Claire, had the opportunity to be on the blue team. I'm going to test you guys, see if you remember your John Owen quote that was actually in your cheer. They went super spiritual with their cheer. They had a, a John Owen quote. Uh, that quote is, you may have heard it, be killing sin. That's right. Be killing sin or thank you. Or sin will be killing you. You guys ever heard that John Owen quote? Be killing sin. All right, we've got a couple. That's good. Uh, that's a great quote. Love John Owen. Read his works. Um, he, he really focuses on this battle between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, it, it, was, it was a great quote, very uh, applicable to our theme of Galatians chapter number five. This brings us to this reality that we are empowered by the gospel to live this spirit-led life. And there's this word here, gratify. What does this word gratify mean? It has the idea of indulging or satisfying. So Paul literally here is saying, walk by the spirit and you will not indulge or satisfy the desires of 
the flesh. I think I have to go into much detail for us to understand that our flesh certainly has desires. We live in a world where temptation and and sin is readily available to us in our pocket 24-7. It's click away. The access uh, to sin heightens, I think, in many ways, the, the desires of our flesh in some instance. And friends, the realities of this is this, that we've been free from the flesh, but this side of eternity, our bodies have not yet been glorified. So this is, if I could park just a moment, uh, our, our life group has been uh, going through um, a book by Jared Wilson called The Imperfect Disciple. And in last chapter, we talked about this idea of justification and in a proper understanding of justification. So positionally in Christ, this side of eternity, we've been, we've been saved and positionally we have been justified. And there's, there was kind of two nuances of justification. I'm looking at my life group to see if they're gonna help me with this, right? There's two nuances of justification, right? Justification means that we, it's as if we what? Say it loud. Never sin, thank you. Right, so that's one aspect of it, right? So our justification, being justified in Christ, means that we, before God the Father, through Christ and in Christ, when God the Father looks on my life, he sees Christ, his shed blood, his perfect atonement and sacrifice on my behalf, and that was a perfect and acceptable sacrifice in the eyes of God, and therefore God looks on me, and he, it's as if I have never sinned. Christ paid for my sin, past, present, and future. So that's my my positional justification. There's a second nuance of my justification, and that is speaking to my freedom from sin. And in my justification in Christ, I am declared what? Not, let me say it loud. Guilty. Somebody get excited about some justification declared what? Not guilty. guilty. Friends, this is huge. I no longer have to carry the burden of my sin. I no longer have to pay for the sin, the demand that my sin had. It deserves what? Death. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned because of our Sin, it demands before a just and holy God, it demands a sacrifice. And Christ took this the sacrifice that I deserved on himself and paid for it perfectly. And it's as if I've never sinned, and he declares me now not guilty. He cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. I am justified. Look with me in Romans chapter number eight, just real quick. Romans chapter number eight, one verse, verse number 30. Romans 8, verse number 30, and those whom he predestined before the foundation of the world, God chose. And those whom he predestined, he also called. 
And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the holistic, past, present, and future view of salvation. God active in my salvation before I was even born. God certainly active in my salvation in my life. And God still working out my salvation in the future in my glorified body. I am declared not guilty. It's as if I've never sinned in Christ by God's grace. Glory, hallelujah. This is a big deal. And we try to, we try to expand their hearts and their minds of the teens of this reality. But friends, I pray for us right here that we would get this truth because it changes how we live. It changes how, it changes my relationship with sin. Let me say it that way. I no longer have a casual relationship, letting sin hang around in my life. Why? Because if I understand justification and I walk by the Spirit, I understand that, God, you've done this work. This sin that I feel defeated by, this sin that I feel controlled by, I've been set free. It has no power over me. The Spirit-led life is empowered by the gospel. John 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Friends, young people, adults, no matter where you're at in your life, sin promises freedom, but will always 100% of the time deliver bondage. In that moment of temptation, the greater pleasure seems to be right in that moment. But friends, let us remember there is joy and pleasure for all eternity in our relationship with Jesus Christ. There is joy. This is why Christ came, that his joy may be in us and that that joy, that aching, that desire for something, that that joy may be full. There's pleasure and completeness in Christ. We need nothing more to add to Jesus. He is enough. John 10.10, there is a thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ says, but I have come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Friends, let us not trade the eternal pleasures and joys that we have in Christ for the fleeting pleasures of this day. Let us not settle for less than God's best for our life. Do you remember our big idea from our text from this verse, because we are free in Christ, we should and can be pursuing eternal pleasure that is found only in living a spirit-led life. You wanna, you wanna get past the well-worn ruts of always having to go back to a sin? You wanna get past the, the weight and the bondage and, and the shame and the guilt? Run to the foot of Christ. Run to the foot of the cross. The victory is yours. In Christ, no more struggle, no more burden. Simply walk by the Spirit. Remember that the Spirit-led life is enabled and directed and powered by the Spirit. Remember who the Spirit is. Don't settle for a lesser, in-the-box type of definition or understanding the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God, the one who spoke all things into existence. The creator of the entire universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This is the Holy Spirit of God who is at the throne of God before him right now making groanings and requests and pleads on my behalf 
with words that I can't even comprehend. This is incredible, friends. There is hope, there is power, there is victory in the gospel. And it's right here in Galatians chapter number five. We looked briefly at 2 Peter chapter number one. I'd encourage you to go back and read that verse number three. It talks about um, Christ giving us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and, and virtue. Actually, it's, I, I think I might be missing that. Let's turn back over to 2 Peter. My, my memory is failing me. I apologize. Verse number three of 2 Peter chapter one says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I was close. Verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So he's given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's, there's nothing else in this life that falls into another bucket. It's either life or godliness. This is complete. He's given us everything that we need in his word. And how does he remind us of that? How does he cause us to walk in those realities? It's in his great and precious promises. It's in these promises, verse number five, that he goes on uh, to say, for this very reason, uh, or excuse me, the end of verse number four, uh, he grant to us by his precious and very great promises so that through them, through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. This is uh, Peter's description of sanctification, right? Being set apart from the world and to Christ, partakers of the divine nature. And then he says this, for what purpose? Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He's given us his word. He's given us the spirit of God. He's given the fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we call out the three aspects of how we can walk in the spirit. Right? 2 Timothy 2.22 tells us to what? Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful passions, that's run from Flee youthful passions and pursue. That's run to. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, that's run with. This is a simple biblical strategy to walk by the Spirit. And friends, I pray by God's grace that we would remember Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Psalm 101.3, I will set nothing before mine eyes, anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. We've got verses in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Uh, the good that Paul knows he should be doing, he's not doing. The wrong things that he knows he shouldn't do, that's what he finds himself doing. He calls out, cries out, said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he says, I thank my Lord Jesus Christ, Paul felt the struggle. He knew he was in the battle. And he knew there was only hope in Jesus Christ. So friends, this evening, let's remember our big idea. Because we are free in Christ, we can pursue eternal pleasures that is found only in living a spirit-led life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you this evening for your word. We love you. Father, I know we 
we went long, and I thank thankful for uh, the attention and uh, just the desire of our folks to continue to grow and learn from the Word. And, uh, I pray that we would take hope from this message, take hope from Galatians 5, we would even take this into our, our next work week, and we would mull over it, we would rest in it, we would walk in it, Father, you would be glorified in and through, this, through our lives. And Father, right now, as we finish with a song of worship and a and we consider our words of commission. We sing that song, Yet I know the Christ who lives in me. Father, I pray that we would rely solely on you. Just be encouraged to walk from this place in newness of life. To walk in the freedom that we've been given in Christ through the Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name.